Remember supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. Anne-Marie Awad, uh, you're a reporter here at Colorado Public Radio, just like me. That's what I'm told. Yep. And you're here to talk about Walker Stapleton. He's the Republican nominee for governor here in Colorado. And I think a good place to start would just be his name. Walker Stapleton. Walker Stapleton. Walker Stapleton. I'm Walker Stapleton. Because, like, once you're already in politics, a name isn't something you can really change or do anything about. And the Stapleton name has become a topic in this election. Can you just explain how? So if you've lived in Denver for any length of time, the name is sort of everywhere. You're used to probably seeing the name of the Stapleton neighborhood. That, of course, comes from the old Stapleton airport that used to be there. Uh, there's also, if I recall correctly, there's a Stapleton school. Yeah, there, there is. a. Sta- I went there. I oh. went there. Yeah. All right. DSST Stapleton. Go Knights. Very convenient. Um, so all of these namesakes, they belong to Benjamin Stapleton, who is uh, the former mayor of Denver. He was Denver's longest serving mayor. He served for five terms. And And it just so happened that when he was elected back in 1923, he was a member of the KKK. And this is a really complicated thing for Walker Stapleton to have to address. Now, and Sean, this is certainly a very tough subject. Yeah, and Walker Stapleton has been reluctant to talk Mm -hmm. about this ugly chapter. And just to be clear, Walker Stapleton and Benjamin Stapleton, they're related. I think Walker Stapleton is Benjamin Stapleton's great-grandson. That's right. And you probably learned that from a campaign ad that Walker Stapleton had run in the 2010 uh, treasurer race, where he sort of puts that family connection right out front. My great-grandfather served five terms as Denver's mayor in the 1920s, the 1930s, and the 1940s. This involvement of the KKK, it's pretty well documented, but it's become more well-known recently as nationally we're having these tough conversations about race, about monuments, about who we name things for in the public square. Walker Stapleton has been swept right up into that. There's been this New York Times story that ran over the summer about the KKK connection. There's subsequently been editorials in the Denver Post and the Colorado Springs Gazette about this. How has he responded to all this coverage? So most recently, Recently, he gave an interview to CBS4 about it. Stapleton says he's not his great-grandfather, but he hasn't expressly denounced the elder Stapleton's involvement in the KKK until now. Do you want to condemn that? I categorically condemn racism of all forms, and I categorically condemn hate organizations, and and they will have no place in my administration. But because of this moment that we're in right now, because this isn't happening in a void, it just keeps coming up. That's what we're going to be talking about this episode. What does it mean when a candidate's name carries a complicated past? And should family history play a role in elections that are about the next governor and the future of Colorado? Well, so you're talking about the Stapleton name? I thought we were talking about the Stapleton name. I would argue that the Walker name is much more interesting. Walker Stapleton. His first name is more interesting than the Stapleton name. Believe it or not. Walker is more interesting than the name that ties him to a KKK member. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with me. I promise I have a good explanation. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm here for it. Let's do it. And I want to talk about all the business about the Walker name, but let's start with that Stapleton name just for a second, because you mentioned Benjamin Stapleton was in the Ku Klux Klan. If that's true, why did Walker Stapleton ever talk about his great-grandfather as somebody to be proud of? 
To answer that, let's do a little bit of time travel into the more recent past and go back to that campaign ad from the 2010 treasure race that I mentioned earlier. My great-grandfather served five terms as Denver's mayor. In the it's taped at Red Rocks Amphitheater, which arguably without Benjamin Stapleton wouldn't exist today. His accomplishments include building the first civic center in Colorado, helping to reinvigorate the Denver park system, including right here at Red Rocks, and building Colorado's first municipal airport. Stapleton Airfield. One reason that a lot of people cast Stapleton in positive terms is he's often remembered as this big public works mayor. What's happened since 2010 when Stapleton, you know, made that ad and now when he's being much more reluctant to talk about Benjamin Stapleton? Well, what's happened in the world since 2010? I mean, Ferguson, Black Lives Matter, Confederate statues have come down, Charlottesville. And in that time, the Stapleton neighborhood, uh, which is also named for him, his time in the Klan is why some residents there have advocated to change the name of the neighborhood. This isn't a name that we want our children to be attached to as they grow up. OK, so the name itself has become more politicized. What about Benjamin Stapleton? Was he this master builder of Denver Public Works or, or was he like a tried and true Klansman? He was both. And that's the tricky thing about legacies. Both of those things are true. When he was elected mayor in 1923, he was member 1128 of the Ku Klux Klan. Though while he was campaigning for the office, he was accused of Klan affiliation. He very emphatically denied being involved in the Klan. But Klan support is not only what got him into office, it's what kept him there through a recall election. I mean, while he was sitting mayor, he went to South Table Mountain. That's the meeting place for the Klan. This is where they used to burn crosses, right, between Golden and Lakewood. And he pledged loyalty. He told the Klan they were going to get the kind of administration that they wanted. And he only turned against them in 1925 when their power began to diminish in Colorado. Okay, so it's not like he was governing in a hood. He he supported the Klan only when it was sort of politically necessary. Yeah, but a lot of people would argue that once you're in the Klan, you're in the Klan. There's no backsies. Um, Bill Convery is the former Colorado state historian. He says it's important to understand the bargain that Stapleton was willing to make at this time to get elected and to stay mayor. He was not an ideological racist. He was a political opportunist. And his willingness to express racist views only went as far as the next election. So the way that Convery sees it is that the discussion that we're having right now about Ben Stapleton leaves out the fact that he was a political opportunist, that his membership to the Klan was just one of many calculations that he made throughout his career to stay in power. It's up to you to consider whether that's a footnote to history. What about Walker Stapleton? Did you have a chance to talk to him about the legacy of his great-grandfather? We tried. His campaign told us that Walker would rather, quote, focus on the future. During the primary, however, our colleague Ryan Warner did get a chance to talk with Stapleton about this issue at his son's soccer game. My son just got a goal. You must be lucky. <laughs> you must be lucky, Ryan. Um, there are a lot at the soccer game. Stapleton said he's not running away from the legacy of his great grandfather, but he doesn't think he should have to answer for the sins of a man he's never met. I am going to be judged by voters ultimately in this election for governor based on my accomplishments and the positions I've taken as the treasurer of Colorado for the last seven years. And so I think you can be uh, proud of the role that people in your family have have, um, have, have had in public service. Uh, but, you know, you don't have to, uh, um, you know, doesn't mean you're emulating uh, their beliefs or their bad decisions or, or anything else. Uh, we all chart our own cor courses in life. Okay, that's Stapleton's take. You talk to this historian. What does he make of this whole question of political legacy and whether it's relevant in the 2018 campaign? 
So Confrey says it's not as black and white as that. It's not a choice between condemning or celebrating him. Rather, he would like to see Walker Stapleton have these candid conversations with voters about Ben Stapleton's legacy and and talk about the good and the bad. Um, But ultimately, Bill says that Ben Stapleton isn't really relevant to the race in 2018. I barely remember my great-grandfather as a kid. I never knew my great-great-grandparents. And so there is kind of a question about what what does Stapleton really owe us in terms of of wrestling with his great-great-grandfather's legacy? There is, arguably, a far more relevant branch of Stapleton's family out there, though, the Bushes. Oh, the Bush family. Is this what you meant when you said the the Walker name earlier and how that's maybe more interesting? Mm-hmm. Yes. Walker as in George Herbert Walker Bush and his son George Walker Bush. Some would say maybe that this is something of a political dynasty. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to really dive into this question of political dynasties. In a country that prides itself on the idea that everyone is basically the same, why do a handful of certain names keep bubbling to the top? You're listening to a podcast about Colorado and politics and history. And if you love all those things, do I have a show for you. I'm Ryan Warner, host of Colorado Matters, the daily news interview program from CPR News, where, for example, we dive into the political divide with a series called Breaking Bread. I don't think there's anything that Trump could do that would move you to support Trump. Perhaps I'm wrong. No, that's probably right. (laughs) Yeah, and I I agree. And there was our in-depth look at the villainization of Californians. It's not so much the numbers of people coming into Colorado. It's the culture that they're bringing with them. We call that the Californian culture. And for good measure, a Colorado jazz legend paying tribute to the Queen of Soul. Every day on Colorado Matters, you can expect to learn about your state. You can also expect the unexpected. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that CPR's supporting members make digital content like this possible. Learn more at CPR.org. You're back with Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. All right, Anne-Maria Wad, when we left off, you were telling me about how Walker Stapleton is a bush. And I wasn't entirely following, like, how he fit into this whole family. And so I've asked you to draw me a family tree. And we're going to talk through it. Let's get started. Sound good? Yeah, let me explain myself. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Let's begin the story with George Herbert Walker and his wife, Luli Ware. Um, this is the couple to remember. George so, Herbert Walker, Luli Ware. George and Luli, okay. mom and dad. Okay. George forms an investment banking firm in St. Louis. This is where the family becomes really wealthy. And this lovely pair has six children. Uh, among those six children is Dorothy Walker. Dorothy Walker marries Prescott Sheldon Bush. Prescott Sheldon Bush becomes a U.S. senator for Connecticut. Okay. They eventually have their own bunch of kids. Among them is George Herbert Walker Bush, who we know becomes a president and is the father to another president, George W. Bush. 
Got it. Okay. okay. Yeah. So so that's the 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 Bush side. That's the Bush side of the okay. family. Let's do the Stapleton side. Okay. So let's go back to mom and dad, George Herbert Walker and Lily Ware. The couple we started. George with. and Lily. Another one of their kids is Lewis Walker. He joins that big fancy investment bank in St. Louis. His daughter is another Dorothy Walker. She eventually marries Craig Stapleton. Oh. That's the grandson of Mayor Benjamin Stapleton. And Dorothy Walker Stapleton and Craig Stapleton, those are Walker Stapleton's parents. They go on to have Walker Stapleton. Ta-da! That, that's Walker Stapleton. Yes. So we made it to Walker. All right. So where does that put him in relation to the Bushes who became president? He's a cuz. Well, he's like, <laughs> he's a second cuz, but still a cuz. Got it. Okay. <laughs> he's a cuz. He's a cousin. Um, nice. How much does the Stapleton branch uh, of this family interact with the Bush branch of this family? I mean, is it Christmases? Is it occasional family reunions? No, I mean, I would argue that they're probably closer than that. Take, for example, Craig Stapleton. This is Walker's dad. Craig Stapleton and George W., they co-own the Texas Rangers together. And that was that was up until W. runs for governor of Texas. Later on, when W. is president, Craig uh, is appointed ambassador to France and later ambassador to the Czech Republic. Another more recent anecdote is Walker Stapleton and his wife were married in 2006 at Kennebunkport, Maine. Um, this is where the Bushes have their centuries-old oceanfront compound. So I think they're... They're pretty bushy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like these two families are really tied pretty closely together. But, like, has being a bush mattered uh, to Walker Stapleton throughout his life, throughout his career? I mean, has it been an important thing for him specifically? Walker Stapleton doesn't have a super long political career just yet. So we do have a small sample size to draw from. But there are some parallels we can draw. He went to a lot of private schools on the East Coast in Connecticut and Massachusetts. Um, he goes on to Harvard and to the London School of Economics. There are a lot of those degrees from top and Ivy League schools kind of scattered throughout the Bush family. So that's mm-hmm. already something. After school in 1997, he moves to San Francisco. He goes into the private sector. He starts working for an investment firm called Hambrecht & Quist. Um, it's really an interesting detail, actually. Early underwriters for lots of tech IPOs like Netscape and Amazon. Hmm. That, that's kind of interesting. So, you know, his opponent, Jared Polis, we just spent a whole episode talking about, you know, his early days uh, and his early career in which he built his fortune. A lot of that happened um, with the Internet in those mm-hmm. early days in the Internet. I guess I just didn't realize that connection. Yeah. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Right. <laughs> um, so after that, Walker Stapleton kind of bops around to a bunch of different companies, works in real estate, investment banking. He moves to Colorado in the early 2000s kind of continues to quietly toil away in the private sector and then pops back up to run for treasurer in about 2009. So that's sort of what connects him to the Bushes is that he goes to these elite schools. He definitely has this you know, history of investment banking, which, which his family and the Bush side and the Stapleton side share. Right. Is there anything else that kind of... There is another key way that they're connected. Um, the Bush family has this long record of public service. It's charity work. It's volunteerism. Walker's no exception to that. Early on when they arrived in Denver, Jenna and Walker Stapleton were already uh, sitting on the board of the Boys and Girls Club of Metro Denver. Um, he also sat on the board for the Denver Public Library Friends Foundation, and both he and his wife volunteered for nonprofits around town. 
So uh, then in 2010, he wins the treasurer's race. Uh, Can you remind us quickly what the treasurer does? So one aspect of the treasurer's office that voters are probably really familiar with, thanks to those flashy ads where Walker Stapleton is standing in Bronco Stadium. He's on the big screen. I'm Colorado Treasurer Walker Stapleton. Like most Coloradans, I love Broncos football. And as your treasurer, I love finding ways to give people their money back. And that's what the great Colorado payback is all about. Our office is safeguarding more than $600 million of unclaimed funds. The great Colorado payback. This is the state's unclaimed property program. It's uh, like a lost and found. So say you left like $30 in a bank account 15 years ago or some collectibles in a safety deposit box. Right. And then you just forgot about them. The state treasurer's job is to retrieve that property and get it back to you. But you have to sign up for this program. Um, So... Thanks to these ads, thousands of new people have signed up for the program as a result. Um, A lot of the other responsibilities he deals with, he oversees the state's investments. So that's why the treasurer is usually very involved in debates around the Public Employees Retirement Fund, known as PARA. Right. And this is the way in which I know Stapleton most. I mean, he put forward one of a few plans to stabilize PARA last year ahead of an eventual compromise in the legislature. His plan came to be seen as kind of the more conservative option among a range of options. Yeah. So Para has been this this big issue for Stapleton the whole time he's been treasurer. It's something he campaigned on back in 2010. Um, and as part of his campaign, one of the big buzz lines he's had is, I am the loudest voice on Para reform. And at times he has been, quite literally, a very loud voice on Para. Here he is on Sean Hannity in 2012. This is people taking advantage of the system to give themselves six-figure pensions. This is about people retiring in their mid-50s for the rest of their lives uh, on the state's dime. Uh, This is totally and completely unsustainable. And it's our kids and the future generations of this country that are going to pay the price for it. And as treasurer, Stapleton has really keyed in on issues around fiscal conservatism. So it sounds like that's the way in which he really links up with with these Bushes, is kind of around this idea of fiscal conservatism? I would say so. Um, He's been really consistent about using the treasurer's pulpit to advocate for fiscally conservative positions. So it's not just para. It's things like being a really big defender for Colorado's energy industry, fighting back regulations. He pushed really hard against a ballot proposal in the 2016 election that would have established universal health care in Colorado. He called it the biggest tax increase in Colorado's history. I'm Treasurer Walker Stapleton. And here's the deal with Amendment 69. It's not an affordable health care system. It's a $25 billion tax increase, and it puts bureaucrats in charge of your health care decisions. I mean, these are key issues where you've been able to rely on Walker Stapleton to speak up about them. I'm Colorado Treasurer Walker Stapleton, and I'm voting no on Amendment 69. Join me. Okay, so Stapleton jumps into the governor's race after serving just about two terms as treasurer. How has his connection to the Bushes come into play in this election? Money, 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 money. Uh, uh, Just a quick glance at a campaign finance report and you see a lot of Bush last names. George H.W. and W. and Laura Bush and Jeb Bush all giving the maximum that they can to Walker's campaign. 
Okay. It's also a two-way street. So when W ran for president originally, Walker donated. When he ran for re-election, Walker donated. When Jeb ran for president in 2016, he donated. And he also threw a donation to Jeb's PAC as well. This really highlights what political dynasties are at the end of the day. They're networks of people who help each other out. So when running a successful campaign is as expensive as it is right now in 2018, why not make it a family affair? Sure. And just for some context, even though Walker Stapleton has all these Bushes giving as much as they can to his campaign, I mean, the amount he's taken into to his campaign, you know, not a super PAC supporting him, but his campaign is so much less than what his opponent uh, has donated to his own campaign. Jared Polis, the Democratic nominee, has donated $18 million of his own money to his campaign. So just for some context just there, I want to note that. But it sounds like people like George W. Bush, these really high-profile Bushes, are helping out Walker Stapleton behind the scenes in his race for governor. Are they helping him out on the campaign trail in public? So we've heard about closed-door fundraisers that W. has participated in for Walker, but he hasn't been out front on the campaign trail here in Colorado. He has, however, been out on the campaign trail in Texas and Florida, um, stumping for candidates in the midterm elections in those states. But so far, no show for a Stapleton event in Colorado. Huh. Any idea why that might be? Were you around in 2016? George Bush made a mistake. We can make mistakes. But that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized. I think 2016 is where we really start to see that Bush legacy run into some trouble when it comes to the Republican Party. There were no weapons of mass destruction. I I could care less about the insults that Donald Trump gives to me. It's blood sport for him. He enjoys it, and I'm glad he's happy about it. He but spent I am, sick and, tired. I am sick and tired of him going after my family. Uh, according to Magellan Strategies, Colorado Republicans give Trump an 80 percent approval rating. And Stapleton has been really working to appeal to Trump voters, especially during that primary. Denver's policy of barring police from helping federal law enforcement deport criminals just doesn't make sense. As your next governor, I'll stop it. I'll stand with Donald Trump to get illegal aliens who commit crimes deported. Walker Stapleton. In the general election, his support for Trump has been a little bit more muted, but he still needs those Trump votes, which might explain why he's being a little quieter about his connection to the Bush family and to their political dynasty. What should voters make of the idea of political dynasties in general? Because I think a lot of people are pretty uncomfortable uh, with these families that tend to always achieve elected office. I mean, here we are in a country that ran away from a British monarchy, and it kind of seems like sometimes we have an elected aristocracy. We have this handful of families that keeps showing up again and again and again. This goes back to the founding fathers. It's funny that you should mention that. They debated a lot about whether elected officials should be paid by the state so they could be kept accountable to the public and also as a way to sort of keep aristocrats from dominating public service. But if we're going to go back to the founding fathers, I mean, I have to mention the fact that John Adams was president number two and his son, John Quincy Adams, was president number six. So obviously this situation has been with us from day one. I would dispute your point about people feeling uncomfortable with political dynasties because I actually think there are plenty of people who don't feel uncomfortable. Stephen Hess is a fellow emeritus at the Brookings Institute, and he wrote a book that I studied quite a bit for this episode called America's Political Dynasties. He says you can't generalize. Not all political dynasties are either good or bad. On average, these people were sometimes at least guided by uh, the sense of being true not only to their country, uh, but, but to their families. 
the best I can say is that Americans did did well enough with these families. By and large, they 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 produce good government for us. And he says it's honorable that some families like the Bushes have this tradition of putting their wealth back towards public service. All right. And taking all this together, what have you learned about political dynasties from reporting specifically about Walker Stapleton? I mean, the man's related to two living presidents. That's not a that's not a throwaway piece of trivia in a gubernatorial election. That's that's not nothing. I think that the biggest takeaway is that if you're a public servant and you happen to be related to a lot of other people who are public servants and live their lives publicly, um, that can be a wonderful asset. But it can also be, you know, it can make things messy. And I think that you see it in this case where our perceptions of these men, these legacies, they're still being written. They're still, I mean, in the case of Benjamin Stapleton, they're still being sort of revised. And I think Walker Stapleton really embodies that problem when you think about it. If you look at his earlier political career and you look at how much he wanted to run on who he was related to. And now, as those legacies have gotten a little more thorny, a little more complicated, he's sort of drawn back and started to run as, a, as his own man. But I think at the end of the day, voters are going to get a ballot that has a first name and a last name on it that have years and decades and centuries of political and historical significance attached to both names. Walker Stapleton. Voters are going to have to weigh that against his eight years as treasurer, his political opponents, everything else that's going on in this election. It's just one factor. And whether a name is a name just depends on the voter. Okay, there you go. A deep dive into a single politician's name and what it can say about his family. After all this, I have to quickly note one more thing about the name of Walker Stapleton's opponent in the governor's race. Jared Polis, the Democratic nominee, changed his name just before he got into politics. So he's like really into the name Jared, right? Like what was his name before? Uh... His name his name has always been Jared. He changed his last name. Uh. Yeah, yeah. When Polis was in his 20s, he changed his name from Jared Schutz, which is his dad's last name, to Jared Polis, which was his mom's maiden name. Wow. To honor his mom and because he likes it better. Okay. And while the Polis family is by no means a political dynasty, it's fascinating. His dad has a PhD in physics from Princeton, and after he married Susan Polis, who's now Susan Polis Schutz, they traveled the country stopping off at concerts, and festivals to sell posters and that's the enterprise that eventually turned into Blue Mountain greeting cards which sold for just short of 800 million dollars in the 1990s. So they were so they were like hippies and then they became hippie millionaires. <laughs> right, it's one of the more bolder love stories out there. Right. Anyway, if you want to hear more about Polis, listen to our last episode. It's all about his fortune which also has its roots in the sale of Blue Mountain and how Polis has used that fortune to influence Colorado politics. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a CPR member or join today at CPR.org. This podcast was reported and written by Anne-Maria Wad and Mr. Sam Brash. Audio production by John Pino. Script notes this week from Kevin Dale, Kim Wynn, and Brad Turner. The news clips you heard came from Denver 7 and CBS 4. The theme music you're hearing right now was composed by Brad Turner. Additional music this episode from Potting Bear. And like all our episodes, this week's was edited by Megan Verlee. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. <laughs>